Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. from this opera yeah it's how it opens oh <laughs> oh wait <laughs> shoot i wasn't thinking What's going what? into this that elspeth was going to be upset about this subject matter i'm not i'm not upset i'm not upset we we talked about this we it was mutually decided i'm not upset cool naomi's upset because she had to sit through an opera it's two and a half hours long and they don't give you an intermission so you're locked in the building <laughs> it was it was a tough go. It's the first time I've sat through an opera that was two and a half hours long with no break. You know, I've watched every Marvel movie and Endgame was like pretty close to three hours and I did not get up at that at any point during that. I know that there are movies that are three hours long that don't feel like they're three hours long. But, but this, <laughs> but this felt like four hours long. hours long. This felt for, eight hours for long. For me, this opera felt very long. <laughs> Even though it is Wagner's, one of his shortest, I think. Right. Well, I think, isn't also is, Das Rheingold is, is one act completely through, and that's like two and a half hours? That's a, a little less than two. It's, it's shorter. Oh, yeah. gotcha. And therefore, more manageable. But the opera that we keep referencing... Hmm. For those of you who didn't recognize my leitmotif rendition. I thought it was good. Is one of Wagner's earlier operas. In fact, it's the first opera that he claimed to be a true representation of his compositional self. And that is Der Fliegende Holländer or The Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm a Dutchman. (laughs) Yes. So this opera was premiered in 1843, and it's considered by Wagner to be like the first codification of his philosophies about music for a couple of reasons. But I think the biggest thing is that this is the first opera in which he starts to play with the concept of leitmotif as a, as a core part of the construction of the work. And for those of you who don't know what a leitmotif is, it's a German term that means guiding motive or um, it's a small piece of music that is symbolically linked with either a character, an object, an idea, an element of the plot somehow. And usually they're pretty short. So it can be like a chord. It can be a short phrase. It's not a long spun out melody we tend to use thematic recall if it's like a full melody that keeps coming back so i i think of it like thematic recall is like a sentence that keeps coming back again and again whereas a leitmotif is like a clause that keeps coming back Hmm. and this is an idea that sort of permeates pop culture if you look at you know 
the original Star Wars films, mm-hmm. Le- like Han and Leia have a love theme. Um, Darth Vader. Jaws. Darth Vader is much Vader more identifiable. Okay. Light motif. Yeah. Right. You're, if you <laughs> thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Um, yeah, like the music from Jaws, things like that. Yeah. So Wagner did not invent the idea of leitmotif. He also did not invent the term, but he's certainly the person that we credit with giving it such incredible importance and historical influence. Right. Because he was the one who really built on the idea and like composed works intentionally to expand upon this way of constructing an opera. And the idea is that his operas are usually very through composed. So it's like the music never stops and you don't have arias and recitatives that repeat. And so you need some way to tie the score together in a way that sounds cohesive to the listener. And so leitmotifs give the feeling of familiarity with a linear line structure, right? A very linear structure. So The Flying Dutchman is the opera in which he first first starts playing with the concept of leitmotif. But the kind of weird thing is that he didn't really write it in a completely through composed manner. So there are arias that are like excerptable and there are very clear cut scene structures. And so for many people that are not 100% Wagner fans, they find Dutchman a little bit easier to get into because it has like the structure and trappings of a traditional or more traditional opera, but it has like the Wagnerian orchestral sound. So, and it's not quite as long-winded as things like Gotterdammerung or Siegfried. And so the the brevity of it appeals to people. Um, The brevity paired with Wagner's kind of unique orchestral sound. So that motif that I sung as we opened is one of the first things you hear in the opera, and it's a motif that is associated with the Dutchman himself. So whenever you hear that, it's either signals that the characters are thinking about the Dutchman or that he's going to appear in a moment or something related to him. So... There's a couple other motifs that you hear as well. We'll talk about them when we get to them. But yeah, it's it's one of Wagner's earliest and it has a fun little story associated with its compositional creation. But before we do that, um, he did not invent the story either. He drew it from historical sources. Right. The Flying right. Dutchman so, is like a thing, right? Like it's like a... A cultural yeah, so thing. the Flying Dutchman is um, a big cultural legend, and one of the reasons that it's so famous is actually this opera. Um, and also, if anybody, any listeners that we have have ever watched SpongeBob, yes, I was hoping that was where you were going. <laughs> I did not yep. want to have to be um, the one to bring up SpongeBob, I'll but it it's important in uh, this context. The Flying Dutchman is a character in it. Um, really? I've yes. never watched SpongeBob SquarePants. So. He's a green, like glowing ghost. Okay. They call him Dutchie. God, Naomi, what? Aww. What <laughs> was your Dutchman. childhood? There's no Harry Potter. There's Sally no SpongeBob. Dutchman. I feel like I, I just missed that era. I mean, I had Sharon, Lois, and Bram. I had the Elephant Show. I had <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Are these not? We've totally heard of those here? things. <laughs> No, they're no? not things here. 
We did have Star Trek. Uh, we all I mean, know what Star kinda. Trek is. Naomi. We did have Degrassi. That was a thing. That's a Canadian thing. That is Canadian. That is a Canadian With Drake. thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, back. yeah. A guy I went to high school with was an extra in Degrassi. Drake? No, not Drake, but <laughs> <laughs> Justin Bieber. <laughs> no, what was it? Okay, we Naomi. We Naomi digress. was Drake's babysitter. That was that the joke? Camp, camp, camp counselor. No, I was Drake's babysitter, and a friend of mine was Justin Bieber's camp counselor. Right. <laughs> Only one of these things is true. <laughs> You babysat for Drake? <laughs> I did not. No. So the uh, the legend of the Flying Dutchman is an actual person. Yes. Uh, it was a obviously a Dutch man um, <laughs> named Captain Hendrik van der Decken. Oh. And Ooh. yes, in 1641, he went from Holland to... Um, what was then known as the the Far East to get, you know, the shit that people got and brought back to make a lot of money. Silks, spices, teas, exotic things like that. Um, and back then in 1641, in order to get back, you had to go around the continent of Africa. And so he's going, um, turning around the continent of Africa, and there's this huge storm. And his crew's like, don't do it, man, don't do it. And Captain Hendrick is... Uh, I guess kind of a dick. And he's, you know, standing there like Captain Morgan. And he's like, ha-ha, onward. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the pose that he had to have. The whole time. Well, right. legend has it that they're, like, going into the storm. And he's, like, on the deck smoking a pipe being like, ha-ha, I laugh in the face of death. Um, Joke's on him. And, like, the, the voice of the ship comes to him. And, and she's like, because ships are women. Um, She's like, don't do this, man. He's like, ha ha, I will live forever. I am Captain H. I love, um, I love that the Flying Dutchman's uh, like little sound effect is, ha ha. Was <laughs> <laughs> essentially kind of a, not a pirate, but you know, kind of the same thing. Right. Um, and so the crew's like, I don't feel good about this, man. Um, and they they mutiny. Oh, and nice. Captain H is like, no. And so he starts killing people, like killing like the leaders of the rebel, rebel the mutiny forces. So he kills, he starts killing them and throwing them into the ocean. And so the water is accepting this blood. Um, and the ship is like, oh no, this is terrible. And Captain H is like, ha ha. Um, <laughs> and obviously they go down in the storm. <laughs> and that's there. Um, and so the legend. So they're all dead. That they're all dead. And the story of the opera, The Flying Dutchman, is based on a book, which is a little bit of a different retelling. Just like, you know, there are different versions of Cinderella and The Little Mermaid and things like that. Um, but he's sort of seen as this omen. So um, sailors, there's a legend that if you see the ghost ship of The Flying Dutchman, it's an omen that you're going to die. Yeah. And Ooh, one of the like reasons. the angel of death. Exactly. And so then this opera comes out. It's very popular. And so the reason that the legends has survived for so long, survived to this SpongeBob SquarePants time, um, yes. is because people kept reporting that they would see the ship in passing. And so it Ooh. sort of lives on in legend. I'm just. Yeah. I'm having a hard time ah! contain- <laughs> I'm having a hard time containing myself because I'm imagining these like 18th century sailors <laughs> 17th century sailors well I mean like even then in the years after um oh, you know after, like sorry. 18th yes. century <laughs> sailors and, <laughs> and they see this ghost ship and, and somebody says 
Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> it's Dutchie. Uh, oh man, that's good. That's really good. So that's the the Legend of the Flying Dutchman. The opera, The Flying Dutchman, is based on a novel, right? A uh, Heinrich Heine, who wrote a lot of shit, right. right? That was then used as a basis for operas. Yes, things like well, he wrote a lot of poems that that were used for song cycles. Right. So the book that Heine wrote was actually a satirical novel. And he like tells the legend in in the novel, and I'm gonna totally butcher this name, but the satirical Go novel is called Aus dem Memorien des Herrn von Schnabelovs Schnabelovs Schnabelovopsky 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 Yeah. So what that, does that translate to? The memoirs of Mister. Von Schnabelovopsky. <laughs> no matter what <laughs> is, language who, you say it in, you have to get out Schnabelovopsky. You have to say the. You have to say the name. <laughs> yes. So okay. Wagner actually admitted that he used that particular retelling of the legend from Heine's work in crafting the opera, but it wasn't Heine's novel that like inspired him to write it in the first place. It was actually a real life event. Right. Tell us yes. about that. Did he see the ship? Did he see the ship? Aha! <laughs> Tis I! Aha! Gotcha, bitch. So. <laughs> Smoking a pipe, Captain Morganing. So. As all sailors do. So, Wagner, in his younger years, was very good at running up a lot of debt. Mm. And this was before he had really, like, basically turned himself into like the god of German romantic opera. Mm-hmm. In his early years, he was struggling to, you know, make a mark for himself and have a stable job. And so he traveled or he kind of moved around a lot throughout Europe and he ended up at one point in Riga, Latvia, where he had a post as like sort of like a Kapellmeister or something like that. Like like your kind of average musician job. And he ran up a lot of debt and he heard that basically his creditors were like calling in their debts. And if he didn't pay, the police were going to come to his house and confiscate all of his like passport documents, like his identification documents until he paid back his debt. And so he and his wife, Minna, his his first wife, Mm -hmm. uh, they fled in the dead of night. They fled the country in order to avoid his creditors. And so they basically went to the the harbor and, like, bought passage on a boat. And their ultimate destination, I believe, they were trying to get, I think, to London is where they were trying to get to. But not long after they kind of got out to sea, a storm came up and, like, the ship was embroiled in this horrible storm on the open ocean. And the ship got, like washed ashore or kind of sought shelter close to shore in the fjords of Norway. And so they had to get off the ship and they like spent a couple of days in Norway while they kind of got everything back together again and got the ship fit for sailing. And essentially it delayed their arrival for their ultimate destination by several weeks. But the experience of surviving this storm at sea on a on a tall ship and then being washed ashore in Norway, like, inspired him 
to write an opera based on the legend of the Flying Dutchman. So I don't know if he thinks he saw the Dutchman ship. Mm. I don't think Dutchy appeared to him. <laughs> but the experience of the storm was so um, just dramatic that he felt it would make an excellent opera. All right. Right. So what's this thing about? This opera really focuses on essentially the idea of the woman as or a woman's love being like a re- for, like a redemption agent of redemption Ugh. okay <laughs> and so so there are really only like four or five characters that you really need to know in this opera okay the the plot is actually very simple and everything takes a long time to happen it's wagner so <laughs> you have the opera opens and you have a a ship that is out sailing and you meet the captain, Captain Dolland, and there is rumblings or the wind is moving such that they think that a storm is, is coming. And so the Captain Dolland is like, steersman, take the helm, watch the watch the water while I take a nap. Right. And so Captain Dolan goes down for it. He like goes to sleep. And then the steersman is at the helm of the ship and he's singing this ballad. He's like telling a story. It's like a sailor song, but he's kind of like singing to his love. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's talking about how he will bring back like a gold, a gold present for his love and that kind of thing. And in between the stanzas of his aria, this sailor song you have the orchestra kind of swelling up and you can like hear the wind in the orchestra starting to um get more and more aggressive and then after the steersman's aria finishes there's this like really dramatic swell and you hear the light motif for the dutchman and then in a lot of productions and in the like plot descriptions they talk about how like giant hooks kind of rise out of the ocean and clamp the side of Dallin's ship. And so that essentially the Dutchman's ship has found this other ship that's sailing on the sea. Mm-hmm. And then this is when we meet the Dutchman. And so, but before we do that, we should listen to some of the Steersman's aria because okay. it's really pretty. I think it's probably my favorite part of this opera. And it is a very much like a repetitive opera. Aria, so there are stanzas, which is not very common in Wagner. So this is the the first big aria of the opera. Mein 
Pirate's life for pirate's me. Life for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when we meet uh, the Dutchman, he we meet him through this like long monologue that he sings, where he's basically telling us, the audience, but also his men on his ship, that his story. And so the story is that like every seven years, he is allowed to be washed ashore. So at some point in his reckless youth, he cursed Satan and then Satan heard him and cursed him to basically wander the ocean as a ghost ship and as a ghost captain. And every seven years he gets washed ashore somewhere and he has a chance to find a source of redemption. And the only thing that can break the curse is the pure, loyal, faithful, unsullied love of a woman. Right. And so he only like has like a day power hour. to make this happen. <laughs> right. What's that? Yeah. How long does he get to be on land? I'm not sure how long he gets to be on land. That I'm not sure. I mean, has, as Love is Blind has proven, it only takes a couple of days. That's right. I was going to say, as Opera has proven, it only takes like 18 minutes. <laughs> That's true. It only takes a glance. Right. So, so he sings this monologue basically saying that even though it's now time for him to be washed ashore, he is relatively hopeless because this has been going on for a very long time, this like seven year cycle. Okay. Right. And then so he sees Dolan's ship, the the ghost ship sinks its claws or hooks its iron claws into the side of Dolan's ship. And then the Dutchman boards and essentially he's like, hello, good sir. And Dolan's like, hello, can we help you? Does your ship need repairs? Like, you know, who are you in from, from whence do you come? <laughs> why are you here? And right, why are you here? And the Dutchman essentially says, I hear that perhaps you have a daughter. Oh. What? Because he like overhears something Ew. about Captain Dolan having a daughter. And he says, is your daughter single? Is she single? A virgin? That doesn't matter to the is Dutchman. She, Let's is be she, honest. Is she, right. Is she, she living? Pure love? In, she only, has to be pure. Only virgins oh, right, can right, love okay, purely. Sorry. Is she alive? He, he asked, is she living, number one? <laughs> and is she close by? Those right. are important no things. No kids, right? Right. <laughs> right. And, and so... Then Captain Dolland is like, yes, I have a wonderful daughter. She's, she's wonderful. And then... Um, the Dutchman like produces a chest of gold and he's like, if you let me marry your daughter, I will give you this chest of gold. Oh, dang. And so he bribes the captain and Captain Dolland is like, he goes like twinkly eyed by the gold. He's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, uh, so. um, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. I feel like this would not happen if this poor girl had a mother. I'm assuming she's dead. The mother's nowhere to be seen, really. I think there's like a nursemaid or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a nurse, but not a mother. And 
And of course, the nurse is a contralto. Hey, <laughs> Can I ask a quick sidebar question? Sure. How are the yes. ships typically represented on stage? Like, how do you have it happen on stage that one ship latches on to another ship? Um. So at the Met, the new production, they had a really cool projection of the Dutchman ship. Um, and they ha- they basically built like the front of a tall ship that, so that rolls was in. That's Dolan's ship. That's like rolls in. Sometimes um, in the old Byright production from the 80s, like the set's designed almost like you're standing on the bow of the ship. So instead of showing you like a side profile of the ship, um, they basically make the set be that you're on the ship. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so then when they attach their hooks, you don't see the ship. Everyone's just like, ah, right. Like it might shake and then <laughs> everyone like, just, and, and if you, and it depends, you, you could have like an iron claw that like comes up and hooks the side That's or true. something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, or like a gangplank that gets like dumped onto the ship and then someone runs down. Uh-huh. Or better yet, all they need is a simple sound effect. <laughs> ha <Ha-ha>! ha. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But in, but in German. I what would it be in German? I don't know. Probably st- yaha, yaho. <laughs> yaho. Probably still haha. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, they had a really neat um, projection at the Met in the new Met production okay. of the Dutchman ship. But there's a couple of different ways you can do it. Um, so, and when when this happens, I believe that Dolan's ship is like close to shore because he's also making repairs because of the storm Mm -hmm. or something like that so it's almost like he's caught unawares with this hook that gets hooked on the side anyway so the dutchman offers doland a chest of gold basically as like a dowry or a bribe to marry his daughter he sells his daughter and doland's like yep right and then um with this chest of gold and this new plan Captain Dolan's like, all right, let's sail for home. We're not that far away because we're we're pretty close now. So let's go. So they all sail toward their like little Norwegian village mm-hmm. on the on the coast. And so, and of course, like Dolan doesn't really ask, or at least the du- Dutchman doesn't really give his name, or he doesn't reveal who he is. Really, he's just like a stranger. <laughs> With you Even know better. that has come. Yes, I'll marry a stranger my with gold. daughter to the stranger. Right? Yeah. So then, that's curtain act one. Wait, They're wait, wait. Home. There's multiple acts, what but a... they still don't give you an intermission. Yes. yes. So there what are th- a bad dad. Yes, there are three acts. Usually, they are performed without intermission, but you do need a scene change mm. here. So it's more like a pausa. Yeah. Right. A brief pause. And are they referred to as acts or is it like different scenes? They're referred to as acts. So odd that they wouldn't just take an intermission. Well, usually I think this is, I don't know if that's where the intermission goes. Probably because acts two and three are supposed to be performed with no break. Like there's actually a musical interlude that connects them. Uh, So this is the only point where it like makes sense to have an intermission. Okay. If you're going to yeah, have one. Yeah, but they usually don't. Though. They usually don't yeah. do it, though. Interesting. Yeah. The story's so riveting, you don't need a break from it, Kyle. Act two, <laughs> curtain, let's go. Act two. So <laughs> now you're in the domestic sphere of the ladies. Mm. And so when the curtain rises, there's like a whole room full of women and they're all spinning. All right. And they sing this like spinning chorus that's really, 
popular or really well known. It's kind of like a, a number in the opera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they're basically singing like whirl, whirl, good wheel. And so I was at the opera with my sister in law, and she said it's kind of like they're spinning and being like, if you spin faster, you'll get a boyfriend, <laughs> which is like kind of what it is. Like if you spin really well, then boys will like you. Right? I mean, and the truth is the truth, right? obviously. You know? Yeah. Right. I know that, you know, when when Kyle thinks about like the qualities in a woman that he's looking for or loves. That's like, how he decided spinning, on a wife. Spinning. She was the top. fastest spinner in all yeah. of Arizona. <laughs> We're gonna need to have a spinning competition, please. <laughs> right. And then right. I will decide. Right. So then they're spinning, they're singing about how if they spin well, then they'll be rewarded with the love of a man. Mm. And then they're kind of looking at Senta and they're trying to get her to, like, interact with them. Who is Senta? Senta is Captain Dolan's daughter. Ah, newly sold. Yes. Yes. Doesn't know it yet, though. Right. So Senta is, like, the the leading lady of the opera, you can say. And she, this whole time that they're spinning, she's kind of, like, gazing, almost like she's totally checked out gazing at this portrait on the wall which is supposed to have be like a painting of the legend of the flying dutchman okay okay and it's like she's mesmerized by it and she can't tear her eyes away and then there all the women are like senta senta like sing something for us tell us like say something tell us a story and then she ends up singing this very famous ballad which is telling you the story of the flying dutchman so then Senta like recites to us, the audience and to everybody, um, the idea that there is this man who's been cursed to roam the seas and is looking for a love and blah, blah, blah. Have we not heard this already during, again, Exposition Power Hour that is the Dutchman's <laughs> monologue? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so it is the same information relied to us again in case we didn't get it the Fr- first time? From a different perspective. Okay. Right. Just cool. tying it all okay. together, Elspeth. Right. right. In case you forgot. Just in case anybody didn't catch it the first time. <laughs> it, it's like very blunt, like bluntly okay. obvious that like they are symbolically connected. Oh, the mind right? melded. Yes. Okay, got it. So then she sings. And also not only does she tell you the story, she also sings his motif. So her oh, aria opens with. And they're destined to be together. And... Yes. Yeah, so yes, oh, they're, so they're, so they're, their fates are intertwined. So Yoho is German for ha ha. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, that's literally <laughs> yeah. the opera's version of <laughs> ha ha. Right. I was trying to be, his, I was trying to be accurate. <laughs> mm, okay. Yoho. Yes. Okay. So, so Senta's ballad is a big moment in the opera. We'll listen to a little bit of it now. And a fun fact about this particular moment, I think this was one of the first bits that Wagner wrote it's not the first thing I don't think it's the first thing that he wrote but it's amongst the first parts of the opera that he actually composed and he actually tried to sell the opera in Paris because he he wrote kind of a scenario out he got some text for the libretto and he wrote a few little snippets and Senta's ballad was one of the snippets and he was trying to convince the Paris Opera House to mount a production and like commission him to complete it and mount to production and they were like "Mm, this music is real bad (laughs) but the story is great Uh, so we'll buy the story from you but we don't want you to compose it for us and so he actually sold a version of the story early on to the paris opera house do we know if they ever did anything i think they did do something with it well wagner thinks they did um 
they they turned it into a French opera, something like like the Phantom Vessel or something like that mm. in French. It's not one that's stuck around. We never hear it. And Wagner claimed that it was possibly his scenario that inspired that opera. But I think there are differences between his version and gotcha. that French version. But yeah, so Senta's Ballad is amongst the first things that he wrote. And it's our first big introduction to the, the leading lady. She sings this ballad. Doesn't that 
Doesn't Senta's as... aria? Uh, do pe- people do that as like an audition song? Or am I making that up? I wouldn't be surprised. Like I'm sure you could, but it is actually kind of long. Oh. So if you listen to the whole thing, it's over five minutes. I think. Oh boy. So. Um, okay. I think so. I feel like the big Wagner aria excerpt for soprano is that "Dich to the Hall." Yes. From um. Tannhäuser. Tannhäuser. Lohengrin. Meistersinger. Not Meistersinger. What about Meistersinger? Lohengrin. Nothing. <laughs> we know you like it. Yeah, her aria, her her ballad is eight minutes long, so you wouldn't sing Dang. the whole thing. Yeah, that's a lot. I think it's Tannhäuser. I think it's Tannhäuser yeah. too. Yeah, Elizabeth is the character. Yeah, Elizabeth. Anyway, Santa. So, so Santa. Then after this ballad happens, her like sort of boyfriend comes on stage. His name is Eric. Wow. Right? And a Eric boyfriend? is like. So it's kind of unclear how much she's actually voiced or verbalized affection for him later in the opera you find out that like they are friends and at one point she laid her head on his shoulder and i think he took that to mean that good girls don't do that right right not in norway not in norway (laughs) at this time Mm -mm. 1840s Mm -mm. so so he's under the impression that they are together obviously right obviously and but he's troubled by the fact that she seems weirdly obsessed with this portrait fair and so he's he comes on he's basically trying to talk to her and being like senta like don't you don't you love me why are you obsessed with this portrait like is something wrong and he basically can't really get like a straight answer out of her one way or the other and then captain doland arrives with this stranger and he's basically like, hello, daughter. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, they're home. The men are home. And they all like go to see the ship. And then he comes on stage and he's like, I'd like you to introduce you to somebody. And he was like, Santa, meet this man. This guy. <laughs> right. Don't even know his <laughs> name, man, but he's a man. my daughter. Right. And... And and he he's kind of like I'll leave you two alone to get acquainted, and then he like leaves the stage. Wait, is Eric still here? No, Eric has left okay. by, by this point. He's kind of despondent, despondent about the fact that she's like obsessed with the Dutchman. He's right. like, I need to go so, count my gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, Captain Dolan is gonna go count his gold. Eric right, is right, right. Like, that's that's what I meant. Captain Dolan is like, I'm going. Eric's yeah. like friend zoned again. Yes. Um, gonna go think of a new strategy, right? <laughs> and then Santa and the Dutchman are alone on stage, and they sing this epically long duet that's like probably almost twenty minutes long. Oh my gosh. And of course, you hear the Dutchman's motif, and you hear another motif that is kind of Wagner's symbol for the woman as like a source of redemption. Mm-hmm. So it's like. That's the redemption motif. It's beautiful.
Do we assume that they're hitting it off then? Things are going well? They're, they are hitting it off. And I it's just kind of weird the way that it's written because it's so slow. But it's like they're both entranced with each other. Mm. And they first sing kind of like individual monologues, one each, before they then come together, come together mm-hmm. in a duet. Right? So but she still does not know who he is. She knows in her heart. Yes, she knows in her heart. There's there's like a it's like she's magnetically drawn to him. Mm-hmm. Right? And he has he doesn't tell her I'm the the legendary flying dutchman, but he does kind of tell her that like I have been roaming the seas and <laughs> am looking for a woman's love and Well, he's saying this and then doesn't Jeff just turn around and look at this portrait <laughs> that looks exactly like this man that's standing in front of her? Right. He's like, yes, right. I am. I'm a sailor. I'm. I'm, I'm from Holland. Co- cosplaying yes. as mm-hmm. as the Dutchman. Right. I, I yes. have been known and to fly once or twice. <laughs> I fly. Wee. Yes, and it's kind of like, it's like in this moment, it actually talks about how they like gaze at each other for a prolonged period of time without singing to one another. So they're like oh, locked in each other's gaze and. And as soon as she lays oh, eyes on the Dutchman, Jesus. it's like she hardly even hears her father, um, that type of thing. So they're entranced with each other. And, like, that's how the curtain falls with this big – or, no, there's no curtain falling because this one is connected. But mm-hmm. that's how the act ends with this epic duet that begins with this long gazing silence, leads into these two long monologues, and then has this finale where they actually come together and Senta – vows that she will be true until death whoa to, to this man see there you go mm-hmm. all it takes is a 20 minute duet and it's, it's yes done. i guess so yeah so then there's this orchestral section that connects into the next moment and or in the next the third part of the opera this is act three and it's later in the evening and all of the men from the ship are like mingling with the women they're eating they're drinking there's kind of like a party and the crew of the Dutchman's vessel, which no one really knows who they are. They're just like a bunch of strange men. They're all invited to like take part in this mm-hmm. kind of community party, right? Then a ghostly form appears kind of in the distance and Dalin's men like shrink back in fear. And so they're like starting to maybe sense that something's off about this ship full of strangers. And then so there they kind of 
they open with this moment where the sailors are kind of like, ooh, what was that? Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it transitions into when Eric is trying again to talk with Santa and he like pursues her. She's walking on stage. He pursues her and he's basically like, Santa, Santa, please don't you love me? Don't you remember when you laid your head on my shoulder? <laughs> like you... Dude, she does not. <laughs> She's right? like, I literally like, don't remember. Like, I put my head on lots of people's shoulders, okay? <laughs> I was tired. Right, and he claims, he claims, like, you vowed your constancy to me, your faithfulness to me. And so Eric is trying everything. And he's also, I think, painting a picture for us, the audience of their history, because mm-hmm. we don't see any of it, right? <laughs> We're like, Eric, and why so should we he's... even care about you? Right. Well, we should care about him because she vowed constancy to him first. And she said he thinks that she loved him and that they were going to be together and they would get married and make babies and live happily ever after. If you okay, like Eric. it, then you should have okay. put a ring on it. <laughs> Sounds like he was going to. He was trying to and she just wasn't responding. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, the Dutchman so happens to overhear oh, yes. all of this. And he's like, what? Whore. <laughs> and he does the minor version he's... of, ha ha. Ha ha. Maybe it just inverts. Maybe it's, ha ha. <laughs> what you really hear is his motive. His light motifs swell up in the orchestra, like from the bass, and it's really dramatic. And he's like, You woman, like you will never be able to save me. I I'm doomed now for another seven oh, years or forever. Dutchman. Who knows how long? And and she's like, No, 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 no. Like, don't say that, don't say that, don't go, don't go. No, no, no. I love you. I love you. Don't go. And he's like, can't change it now. I can't take it back. This I kind of feel like, like so he's sorry, sort of over. been wandering. He's sort of been wandering for centuries. And every right. seven years, he comes to land and is like, "Ladies," and I feel like if this is how he's reacting to everything, like very dramatically and blowing things out of proportion, that he probably could have been saved like a long time ago. But somebody is a drama queen. <laughs> Quite possible. Quite possible. He lives for the drama. He lives for the drama. So then he's so he's like no take backs. Bye. Yeah, he's kind of like, <laughs> and then and then he he frames it like like my my dreams of being redeemed are ruined. You can never save me because you're you're not pure. And he's like, ha, lucky for you because if you had married me, then who knows what happened? Like you would have maybe been cursed to wander with me forever. So. And so he's kind of on like a tirade, right? <laughs> and then Santa the whole time is like, no, no, I, I, I love only you and I'm faithful to you. And and then he's like, don't you know who I am? Ha ha! <laughs> and he's like, I am the flying Dutchman. Was anyone surprised? Everyone is point? like, <gasps> Yeah. Right. And then his his ghostly vessel swirls up and the town of idiots. Like, ich bin ein ich bin fliegende a- Holländer. Right? Yes. And, so, and then he like he's gets on his ship and all his men get on his his ghostly ship and they start like leaving and he's like, I there's nothing for me here. Like I've been screwed over and he mm. starts pulling out to sea and then it makes me feel like he's done this in a lot of towns 
Well, unfortunately, Santa does not live to tell the tale about this crazy drama queen who visited her town. Oh, no. Because she's like, he's sailing away, and she's like, no, I can prove to you that I love you. I will I will do anything I can to prove to you that my love is true and that I haven't been unfaithful. And so she literally like runs and jumps off a cliff into the ocean. Oh my god. To save him. And then the end of the opera you're supposed to see essentially Senta and the Dutchman like ascending to heaven together because her ultimate sacrifice like proved that she was pure and her love was true. And so, like, she ultimately does redeem him, but, like, they are both redeemed in death. And they, like, experience eternal bliss. Oh. Right? And and it's this, it's this crazy moment where, like, Dolland and Eric are there. And they're like, Santa, Santa, what are you doing? Santa, Santa. <laughs> and then she's she, like, goes and she literally has this scream in the score where she's like, oh, what? And then jumps into the <laughs> jumps into the ocean, right? And so, oh, your face! Yes. <laughs> so, and that's like how sh- how she meets her demise, and then you hear like the redemption motif, and then you also hear like them ascending to heaven. So there's a long kind of orchestral coda that you is paired with like the visuals on stage, mm-hmm. right? And. And that is how the opera ends. Wow. Did you get such visual in the Mets production? So if you didn't know the story already, I think it would have been very unclear or at least vague that Senta and the Dutchman like ascend to heaven and live in this kind of eternal bliss because Mm -hmm. she kind of like body surfs across the chorus toward the back (laughs) of the stage Mm -hmm. and then she like disappears in this like crowd of the chorus and the whole time in the production she's wearing a red dress and everything in the production is pretty like monochromatic or drab except for Senta's very red dress and then in the very end, in when you hear the music that's supposed to be them ascending to heaven together, like the whole horizon that's projected on the back of this stage turned red. And so, oh, okay, like you get the symbolism of it, but I think it would be hard to piece together if you didn't know that like she is dead, but she also redeemed him through death, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to know that. Or, or get that from the music itself. So Well, shoot. So what you're saying yeah. is that hopefully people listen to this podcast before they go see that opera. Yes. I mean, I think it's helpful because the plot, not a whole lot happens and it moves quite slowly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then everything's like built up to the end and then you're not really quite sure what happens during the end. And if you look up this opera, like early sketches of it or things like that, like I know our listeners can't see, but like, look at this photo. Like, like, like it literally shows like a woman like f- flying off a cliff, like oh. with all the people on shore looking in this like horrified way, and the Dutchman's ship is like in the background. It's like, what is right? it? What is it? Is it parasailing? Is that what it's called? It kind of looks like she's parasailing. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, Just like spread eagle. Yeah. It's <laughs> like we. Like she did some parasailing. Like Santa. she was going base jumping or something. Base jumping, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. 
So, well, thanks for filling us in, Naomi. Yeah. Now we know. And I think, the, I guess the thing that's a lot of people think is important about this opera is that in many ways it starts Wagner down this path with a kind of obsession with the idea of the woman as like pure love of a woman is like a redeeming thing Mm -hmm. right and so you see it in a lot of his other operas like think of the ring cycle right think of parsifal and like so it's i think tonhoiser has a lot of that too lohengrin so there's this theme that you see kind of gets imprinted on his brain in this opera that he just never lets go of and so scent is the first in like a long line of women in a wagner opera to a long line of female characters to play this role within like the dramatic function of the story. This is a good time for us to mention that if you want to hear more about Wagner specifically, uh, you should listen to mm-hmm. episode 89 of Opera After oh. Dark. That's when we go deep on Wagner and actually then in subsequent episodes we go deep on the ring as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. Much to Elspeth's chagrin. I said my piece and then I got over okay, it. Okay, I'll leave it be now. It's been said. Yeah. I brought it up a few times. Yes. I do I do think that while this opera as a whole certainly did not crack my top ten favorite operas, I really like the overture. I think the overture is very dramatic. And another fun fact is that he wrote the overture last, and so he had the rest of the opera written. Mm-hmm. And then he could weave in all the light motifs that he had developed throughout the opera into the overture. So if you learn the music of the overture listen to the overture, you basically know all of the motifs and you've heard all of the main musical ideas that will then come up throughout the opera. And it's just a very, I love a good storm at sea. I love a good orchestral storm. Yeah. Um, I don't want to live through a storm on the sea. But like, <laughs> I love a good depiction of one through music. And so I think this is definitely like one of my favorite examples of the orchestra being a musical storm. Yeah. And it's done very well. We should listen. Let's listen to one of those storms going out. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Opera After Dark. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, please check us out on social media. Please also go and leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Check out the merch shop at operaafterdark.com. And also consider going to patreon.com slash operaafterdark and uh, donating there. It helps the podcast continue on. With that, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening.